Welcome to Mind Movement. been talking about how to use the ancient wisdom of yoga to help us through this extremely challenging time. And it is week eight, uh, the end of week eight of our uh, shelter in place stay at home order here in New York City. So joining me for our conversation today is two of our members of our Mind Movement team, our clinical director and vice president, Ms. Molly Bates, who is a licensed clinical social worker, yoga therapist, and kundalini yoga teacher. And then uh, one of our integrated wellness coaches, who is also an, a mental health counselor and um, a yoga instructor, Ms. Angela Senko. Welcome, ladies. Hi. Lovely to have you with me today for this conversation. So, really interesting. We had been sort of talking about the limbs, the eight limbs of yoga, and then Molly brought up something that I thought was a really interesting topic to discuss, and that was ethics in yoga. And as yoga teachers, what is our responsibility to... Um, you know, to the, the, the people that we teach as instructors in terms of how we carry ourselves, because as clinical professionals, we do have kind of a code of conduct. And given a lot of what has come out now about, you know, these um, very well-known, very famous yoga teachers who had, you know, who have the gurus who have brought us yoga, at least uh, here to the West, uh, their behavior has certainly been called into question. I think the most recent, um, you know, allegations came out against Yogi Bhajan about in about January of this year. And then, of course, we are well versed in Bikram and what happened. Uh, there was a, even a video on a movie on Netflix about his behavior and sort of the outlandish way that he carried himself with his students. Uh, and, and certainly the allegations just keep going, right? Patabi Joyce, who is associated with the Ashtanga practice, and even BKS Iyengar, you know, none of these men who have brought us yoga, uh, they've all been called into question, all have had pretty um, hellacious uh, sexual allegations brought against them. And so it really does call into question as yoga teachers, what our responsibility is, to, I guess, walk uh, the talk and to, you know, at least, um, you know, publicly in how we treat other people and how we carry ourselves. And this also is really interesting. And Molly, I know you can speak to this more because, you know, my understanding of the roots of yoga is that it really is sort of taught in more of a kind of a, a disciplined way and not in disciplined, what am I trying to say? kind of more 
with less warm and fuzziness around it. It taught far more like a rigid discipline, the way you might imagine a combination of yoga instruction and like the military, a military leader might run a show or run the ship. And so it's really interesting because we have added this gentleness to yoga that, you know, really historically was not there. And so it really does call into question so many different components of uh, the teachings, the eight limbs, and then how we carry ourselves, and then what messages we're sending to our students. It's a lot. <laughs> Not sure where we want to start with that, but Molly, why don't you lead us off today? Sure. Yeah. I, I've also been talking to a lot of yoga teachers over the years about even their own understanding of what the uh, expectations are around a code of excellence or a code of ethics and uh, even that is pretty variable right so as as you said sam as mental health professionals we do have a code of ethics that we study you know, we take classes on it and then we're tested on it in order to sort of pass our licensure. And there are a lot of reasons and kind of stop gaps along the way to hold us accountable to that. Um, you know, throughout the, the span of our professional careers as clinicians. Um, but that doesn't really exist, at least uh, in the U.S. or here. Um, and across the different yoga disciplines. So I'm always curious in asking different yoga teachers sort of what um, their understanding is of uh, especially the student teacher relationship. Um, but also, it, you know, it's, it, this conversation is, is certainly applicable because of, you know, this is about how we, you know, Angela, Sam, myself, and anyone who comes on this roundtable, live our lives as um, yoga teachers, but yoga pr practitioners, right? And so a large part of um, the expectations around a teacher are to practice, you know, what we've been talking about, to have these disciplines as part of our daily routine. But that it's important to to kind of say that not all yoga teachers do <laughs> you know not all yoga mm -hmm. teachers do have this um integration or um this this really adherence to the various different concepts that we've been discussing along the way and even less um i think education or um you know uh, accent on what it means to be in relationship with a student so yes and um, you know one of the the best books that uh, you know I love to recommend to to anyone looking into yoga is the autobiography of a yogi where that um, this relationship um, is really uh, detailed in along the, in this beautiful way, um, it really it does have its sort of traditions and this um, roots in this very sort of 
aesthetic, um, you know, disciple and student relationship where, you know, there is a lot of trust implicit, right? You don't ask a lot of questions. You have to kind of do <laughs> and then wait and see, you know? Um, so, so that, and in that, right, which is really what we're talking about here is inherent, this power um, differential, right? That, mm -hmm. um, and that, that is the greatest sort of responsibility, I think, um, that as, you know, a newcomer to the yoga practice, you know, I hear, um, it, you know, I, that yoga might be fun, yoga might be gentle, yoga might be about stretching, yoga might be about losing some weight, um, you know, all of these sort of social media kind of concepts we have out there and maybe i'll like yoga like my friend told me i've got to go i've got to slow down i'm anxious whatever um and then we we also are aware of all of these different um documentaries and sort of whisperings about some inappropriate behavior in the yoga world and so here i am a, a new um a new student, I'm curious, I'm in a classroom, and and immediately you go in to the studio and maybe you, you have anxiety, you don't know what to expect. And there's the teacher, right? And so this person supposedly knows a lot more than I do, right? Like this person supposedly has answers or knows, you know, knows how I should be moving or sitting or breathing or, um, occupying space so there's this inherent power differential as soon as you walk into the room and that is a huge responsibility um, and you know we don't all necessarily have the same idea of what that means as yoga teachers or, or how um, how to adequately safely because this is also about safety trust right um, I'm putting my you know, my, my body, my spirit, my mind in your hands for you to help mold, <laughs> right? Because I, I'm curious, I want results. I, you know, I don't know, you know, what to do or what to think about all of this. So that's all to say that um, in, in my discipline, in the Kundalini Yoga discipline, uh, I did have very explicit uh, written code of ethics. Uh, and they're not actually very dissimilar from um, what you might find as uh, in a, a mental health or a medical uh, professional code of ethics. Uh, and there is a specific line item uh, regarding uh, sexual relationships, but, um, you know, even more important, I think, uh, and one of my, you know, sort of favorite ways that I, um, or one of the things that I sort of hold is that it truly is about building up the student right it is my responsibility is it's to nurture and prop and challenge and poke and provoke mm -hmm. um my student with the sort of expectation and 
this long-term commitment, because it really is, right? And you, you referred to these, um, the, the traditional way that one might learn uh, yoga in, in the East. It is a long-term life, life mm-hmm. uh, relationship and commitment with your teacher. Um, or at least with the practice, and that can evolve as well. But my goal is to make you a better, more effective, more efficient, more fulfilled, um, brighter, shinier um, individual than I am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Molly, wait, let's hold up there. You just, <laughs> you just said a, a lot, a lot. And um, so it's, you know, to back up a little bit, right? there you're absolutely right there is for some of us an awareness of that guru and that that the way that a teacher is held in the practice of yoga you know the practice of yoga is not just an exercise it is an ancient wisdom tradition it is considered the oldest really organized religious script um and so when you start looking at it from that perspective, what you're saying is a very, you just broaden the whole, the whole picture because, you know, in the West, we have thousands of teacher trainings. Many of them are very short. They range from a few weeks to a few months. Uh, and so, and they are very specific to their their individual disciplines uh, and they may or may not include much conversation Mm -hmm. about this larger wisdom tradition component Mm -hmm. may just be about the movements and just be about the sort of biology um, of the practice and so there may or may not be any awareness on the part of the teacher at the start in the starting position and so it's a a really important conversation and um so before we go any further angela i definitely want to hear uh from you on this topic as well sure um organizing because we touched on a lot of a lot of things um so i think you know even though Molly, you mentioned like the Kundalini teacher training had a specific code of ethics. Um, and I think even though we get something so concrete and scripted, I think there were times where it was woven in throughout our training. So like, um, you know, thinking about like how to assist students, for example, and doing it in a way that's appropriate, right? Like hands-on assist and physical assist, or, you know, how to use inclusive language and um, make sure that you're talking to the entire room and not just saying, you know, hi guys, but hi yogis, hi friends. Um, I think how, you know, we also operate off the mat, right? So now teaching online, for example, <laughs> um, not only am I teaching, but I'm also doing, right? So that, you know, when I have to teach a 10 a.m. class, I also have to be ready to practice. And so it's like, you know, how my behavior is the night before is going to affect my practice and my teaching, right? So it's like kind of showing up in our own truth and being, um, held accountable. So I think, you know, even though it's not a scripted code of ethics, I think there are certain things that um, we, you know, we have a responsibility you talked about, you know, the power differential and um, between the teacher and the student. And yeah, students come to yoga for many different reasons, right? Like 
it could be just for a workout or a curiosity or I want to lose weight or, um, you know, maybe there is something about a, a spiritual connection. But as a teacher, you know, we have to hold the space, right? We have to be the one who flies the plane. We have to be the one who's in charge, who's, you know, um, taking that, that seat of the teacher, you know, regardless. And I think teaching to the room also, right? So, um, which is another challenge when we're teaching online because we're not really seeing our students, right? And so, so much of what I think is important is to teach the students in front of you. Um, so I think that, you know, also being able to teach to a, a, a large group um, offer modifications, offer options. I think these are all things that come into play in terms of, uh, you know, our responsibility and, and being inclusive and including everyone. So at Mind Movement, Molly, you talked a lot about um, the relationship and the responsibility of the teacher to the student mm -hmm. and why people come to yoga. Why, to, why do yoga teachers or why do people, yoga students, begin in their yoga practice? I certainly went, you know, as a way to get some exercise and because I had heard or had a curiosity about yoga and I started in the realm of hot yoga. So, um, which is a, a little different, right? It is positioned a little more like an exercise uh, than it might be, than, than maybe some of the more traditional practices. Mm -hmm. That said, at Mind Movement, there is a, we are really aware that that is an entry point, that it is our responsibility as teachers to teach far greater to have in our minds a far greater purpose to help people translate what they're learning in the yoga practice into their lives. Mm -hmm. Like that is the power and teaching of yoga. That is the whole premise of what mind movement was all about is when we saw that putting, getting present in mind and body in a yoga practice could literally do to mental health, what medication and six years of different treatment programs and rehabs. When we saw what yoga could do in two weeks, two to four weeks, it was a shocking and jarring and, you know, just stunning development. You know, the power of this mind and body practice and what it can do. So you know, I think we are really dealing too with a heavy, extremely powerful technology in yoga mm -hmm. that because it's become a form of like CrossFit, people are unaware of, but that's okay. Mm -hmm. Like it's okay because mm -hmm. even if you come to it to lose 40 pounds because you think you're a fat ass, it doesn't matter. You still get the same benefit yeah. as someone who's coming to it with more intention. Yeah. So I think for us as teachers, it is, it is beyond our responsibility to be aware of the power of this technology. And I think we are, I mean, at least viscerally, like I don't think anybody goes to yoga teacher training because, you know, they want to get skinny. At that point, we have all sort of fallen in love with this mm -hmm. practice we may or may not have any awareness of its other side, of its more the wisdom components of yoga, but we have certainly benefited from it in some very real way. And that's what brings us to teacher or calls us to teacher training. I know it's some very small percentage, in fact, of people that take training actually start mm -hmm. teaching. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, 
we tend to we tend to do it in large part to strengthen our own practice mm -hmm. to learn more about the the depths of yoga because of what it's given us in practice but because it's so powerful it, it is to me imperative that we at least as teachers understand its power and not throw it around um in a in a silly way to, to try the best that we can to to be models and to be representatives that are holding this powerful tool and then using that as carefully and gently to translate the the, the power of that into uh, to help people translate it into their lives mm -hmm. specifically yeah yeah uh yes so as yoga teachers who had our own personal experiences and and transformations and continue to, um, it was uh, a really important piece or, or premise uh, that we talked a lot about and, and have, Sam, you and I, for years um, in thinking about uh, a, a healing offering um, in our current mental health system. So, um, that was a, in large part uh, an intention. And even when we started teaching um, classes, uh, mindfulness classes, meditation classes, uh, we had a, a sort of a doctrine um, that we shared with our, um, our students, right? That uh, this is sort of, these are our tenants, right? These are the expectations. Um, to one another, uh, and we didn't we didn't talk um, explicitly about um, the teacher-student relationship, but you know, and in large part, these roundtables at Mind Movement are um, implicitly, you know, we we walk the walk here at Mind Movement. That the our team, our staff, that that is, you know. Again, the one of our one of our main premise um, in in what we're trying to accomplish and what we're trying to achieve, um, and <clears throat> it's built in. It's built into the expectations <laughs> of what it means uh, to be, uh, a, you know, a, a student of uh, this practice, um, this yoga practice, and so, yeah. Yeah, Angela, did you want to jump in there? Yeah, just to say that um, this, this idea of like walking, you know, just kind of practicing what we preach. And um, it, it's really the way that I feel like I'm able to be uh, present and accountable and, and uh, be a better teacher. And a lot of like what's going on in my life, I bring to the, to the classroom or to these conversations or to writing or whatever the case may be. And so um it's like part of that experience you know maybe there's someone out there that also needs to hear that or can also relate to that or so you know by kind of working on these things with my own self you know the hope is that there i'm also helping others right and so it's about um you know working doing the, the human work that's important on on me but then also um you know hoping that it, it's helpful to other other people so i think this idea of like you know, really showing up in our truth or being our, uh, you know, 
being held accountable to what we do on a day-to-day -day basis is what shapes mm -hmm. um, everything, the teaching, the, the talking, the writing, all of it. Mm -hmm. Well, right. So a couple of things. I've always thought of myself as a guinea pig. And going back a long way, I, I feel like before I'm any kind of counselor, I've always been a teacher. Like that is my first calling. And that is the whole point of mind movement, really. And, and the whole point of all of this, the round tables, the classes, is to get the message, to get these very powerful concepts, ideas, technologies, and tools to the to the everyone, to everyone, to anyone and everyone who will listen because of the fact that there's a lot of bad information in the world and a lot of uh, just un, you know, people don't understand, they don't know what they're doing to themselves. They are not taught. And if anything, this culture is counter to the truth. And, you know, I don't mean to speak in cryptic ways, but you know, it's such a big conversation, you know, when you understand the science of the mind and the body and the way that these two things work together, um, you know, you, you understand that there's something very wrong with the dominant cultural concept of uh, how the mind and body work, the fact that we have separated them fundamentally. We fundamentally think of the physical body as a place that you go to the doctor for. And we fundamentally think of the mental as completely unrelated. Oh, no, no, that's not in my mind. That's, this is a real physical illness. I mean, this ridiculous <laughs> nonsense that is, and, and the, that pervades not just common concept and idea, but pervades mental health certainly uh, from the ground up. So what that means is the, you know, you have schools churning out students where they start off in their uh, neurobiology class being told, oh, don't worry about the details. Like we don't expect you to be scientists. Like, you know, if it wasn't for the fact that I absolutely fell in love with drugs and alcohol so much that it forced me to, that all I cared about was how it was working in my brain and body. If it wasn't for that visceral um, knowing about what these things were doing and curiosity about how they were doing it, I certainly would have no idea about neurobiology or how the mind and body work together. And that is a painful truth that hurts my heart every day. So I think of myself as a guinea pig. Like, it's not that we're perfect, you know, floating gurus. It's that I am never giving anybody any kind of suggestion or, or any kind of guidance that I don't know firsthand is effective and that I can't identify with in some way to be certain that the guidance that I'm giving is foolproof is working is going to be an effective tool teaching and support for the clients that i serve so it is all in service and as you said molly the first thing that we do at mind movement and it's it's annoying i think probably to our team they get sick of like hearing this all the time because it's so like we talk about it so much like we train constantly, our poor team trains every week and hears a lot of the same stuff over and over because it is so 
freaking imperative that we have an understanding in a knowing way, not an intellectual way, but in the body way where of what we're talking about, of how to guide our clients and why it is so important, like why yoga is so important and why the teachings that are also in yoga, you know, we're not necessarily teaching specifically out of, you know, the yoga texts, but these, the wisdom here is the same, believe it or not, as the science now. So, you know, we're, we're using it as a tool um, and maybe translating into a different language, but, you know, it is so imperative that we as teachers are able to at least make an effort to practice what we preach because we cannot be effective teachers, in my opinion, unless we are. And that really brings up, I think, this important point. And, you know, we can debate this all day, but alignment. So, you know, uh, at Mind Movement, we talk about these three A's as being like, the, they are the goal, like the objective at all times is to support people towards these three things. And one is awareness. Uh, one is allowing, like allowing yourself to enjoy life. But the second is alignment. And that is all about walking in your truth. And I, I have a hard time understanding how I could be a teacher and wake up in the morning and look myself in the mirror and be actively hurting my students in some way, you know, or not be practicing what I preach in some way. Um, and to these gurus, these huge gurus like that, it, it really, it does, you know, it does call into question like what that means <laughs> about them, um, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, about a lot of other things as well. So. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, we talk about the importance of, right, so if you're in alignment, right, as an individual um, and doing the best you can, you know, to, to, to stay in alignment, if you feel like you're veering off or, you know, you maybe did cause harm. This is something we've been talking about quite, quite a bit, you, you know, from the perspective of the eight limbs of the last couple of weeks. But if, you know, you're noticing that you need kind of a little refinement in, you know, one of these areas, it's all, it's all about, it, it's a process. It's a daily sort of process, but you know, one of the things that uh, we talk a lot about is um, how we speak about each other, right? How we treat each other. And this, this applies certainly to the student-teacher relationship, right? Like, you know, I, Sam and I, we, we know some former trainers, personal trainers and in the gym kind of atmosphere and what happens what happens in that atmosphere, right? You've got the trainers talking about the the people who come in to train, right? And they've all got nicknames and it's this sort of gossip, like almost making fun of limitations and, you know, because, and this is a concept we talk about quite a bit at my movement, right? Why, why do we put each other down? Why do we focus you know why do we harm other with others with our language so gossip harassment coercion right 
um, manipulation that can happen in a, a yoga studio and a gym, um, certainly, you know, and it, again, right, it, in the yoga um, doctrines, as we've been discussing, there is, you know, there is an expectation not to cause harm. And that includes talking about, you know, mm -hmm. your students um, outside of class um, to anyone else, right? And, and that this is, that's just another environment or example of how that might happen. But, you know, if I am not disparaging others, you know, in general, right, if I'm not gossiping or you know, putting down my friends or my family members, then hopefully I'm also not doing that with my students um, in, in a, you know, in a professional setting or in a teaching setting. Um, but we all know that that is not, you know, that's not the case. And it's really rampant in, in some um, movement studios. Um, so, so that's, you know, that's an example of, again, how these um, sutras, how these teachings, um, are not just applicable to us personally, but as even more so, the responsibility is even greater um, when you have that, when that power differential is inserted, right? So it's, it becomes even, and you know, I, I think that that is the question, right? What does, when, when I am, because we are, you and the three of us right now are talking about a wisdom, right? We are talking about teachings. We are talking about technology. I don't own it. You don't own it, Sam. Angela doesn't own it. And sometimes that gets a little cloudy or a little, you know, um, we forget that, right? Especially if, you know, we're feeling really good about our classes and we're bringing in students and they they want to like us on Instagram and they want to send their friends to us. Um, it, it, we, we can become a little detached and it starts to, you know, ask, it asks the question, right? The, the teachings are not me. It is not about me. It is not about my class. It is not about my movement, right? It is, it is about the teachings themselves. And so always directing a student back to the teaching so that they can interpret and decipher, you know, what they're learning and reading and experiencing in their own way. It's not for me to interpret. It's not for me to tell you, right? And, and that, you know, I think that is the question, right? When you raise to a certain letter, level of celebrity or status or ego, um, it, you, it, I, I think we've seen not just in yoga, but certainly in yoga, um, because that's the conversation we're having today. But when that sort of power differential goes awry, <laughs> so. <laughs> Sorry, I was muted. Um, no, Angela, go ahead. <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, so you mentioned how you know there's. A lot of concepts that we talk about at mind movement over and over and just kind of like drill in <laughs> um and you know it's 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 because we're we're all, all humans <laughs> and we're continuing you know to, to 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 do this work and then things happen you know that kind of 
maybe take people off course or change, you know, um, and, and that's just life because every day we're different, right? So mm-hmm. it's like this idea of, of doing it over and over is, is it's a lifelong journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, we, we talked about being in alignment and, and, and for me, that means, you know, if I have a day where I wake up, I take five to 10 minutes to kind of tune in, whatever that looks like. Um, and then, you know, I say acts of service. And by that, I mean, you know, taking care of my son and the dog and putting others before me. <laughs> um, and then some type of movement, right? So whatever that might look like. Um, but if, if I do sort of these things, then the way my day unfolds is always better, right? And if I, if I don't. So it's kind of like aligning my mind and my body and then, you know, who I am as a person to, to others, to students, to, you know, strangers, to my family, my friends, um, if, if these things are in place, then, then I am, I am a better human. <laughs> um, and I think we, we touched on also, you know, this kind of idea of certain uh, fitness environments, uh, people get together and they, and this even happens in, in counseling settings, I found too, right? Like the clients yeah. have nicknames and all kinds of things, right? And even though, you know, we think, oh, well, they're not going to know or they're not going to hear, it, it's still it's still damaging because it's taking us out of alignment, right? So out of this kind of place where um, we're able to show up as our best self. And I think a lot of times this happens is it's easier, right, to find these weaknesses in other people because they reflect us, right? So... Um, as, instead of saying like I see this in myself right we don't want to see that or we don't want to deal with that so it's easier to kind of project it out onto the other person um and you know as you spoke about like gossiping and commiserating and making fun of others and, <clears throat> and nature but really it's stuff that you know we we don't like about ourselves right um but just just the last thing I, I think um you know we talked about like taking classes from a bunch of different teachers and everyone has a different perspective and philosophy. Um, and I think we can take nuggets from all of these folks and find what resonates with us. And then, you know, so like you said, these teachings aren't ours, right? They're, no one really owns them, but um, it's like, well, what did I learn from this teacher and that teacher and um, developing something that, that then is my own from what I pulled from other other teachers and sources right well as i think you bring up a lot of really good points angela um so the way that molly we've taught it in our constitution as yoga teachers when we've worked together in in different settings was not participating in the takedown of others that was the specific language and there's a lot of reasons why you know First of all, commiserating is really a very easy way to connect with another person. You see it a lot in work settings. So certainly counseling settings, absolutely, Angela, certainly fitness, but in any work setting, you know, it's like someone pulling another person into the office to talk shit about a coworker. But the reason that we do that is not only because we don't like what we see in ourselves, which is of course what's happening, it's also a really easy way to feel connected to somebody else because that's the way that we've been trained. I mean, I've, I remember dating this one person 
the, the most loving, supportive, kind, blue collar family you could imagine. But at any time the family was together, the only thing they talked about was other people. And I thought that was so weird. I couldn't understand what was happening. So it's also something that in our families, we do, we do, do, because <clears throat> we know people, we don't know what else to talk about. So we fill, we know the same people. So we'll fill space with, oh my God, did you see what so-and-so posted on social media? Can you believe what they're doing? Or can you believe, how are they doing? Oh God, they're doing terror, you know? <clears throat> so, but that connection is a primal survival need. That is a part of us, uh, you know, and it is part of our drive, our instinct is to connect. And so if we see an easier way to do that, that certainly matches our own mood at that moment, which might be frustrated or anxious or whatever, we're gonna go for it. The, the challenge though is it's, it's not just damaging in the way that <clears throat> we're out of alignment, we're not our best version of ourselves, all of that, it is that. But it is also, <clears throat> if my job is to teach and to uplift and I, cannot hold you in the best version of yourself i will not be an effective counselor you know teacher to you that is a fact so and there have been times where we as clinicians have had very frank conversations where one of us will come to the other and say look i can't work with this client because i can't do that anymore i don't see that all i can see are the things about them that i do not like and that very much is not about the other person. It is very much about their own stuff and what that person is reflecting back. But we're human. And so, of course, there's going to be times where as clinicians, we have to admit that like this is just not a working situation. This doesn't work because I can't hold them in that light. And the, the reality is when I see somebody <clears throat> as they were, as Angela said, the cells of our body are constantly turning over. We are not the same person that we were yesterday or last year. And yet we often hold each other as though we are. So like when I look at Molly, mm -hmm. I've known her for almost 10 years. Mm -hmm. So I see Molly and I don't see the person sitting in front of me today. Like, it's not like, mm -hmm. oh, I don't know you. Let me learn about you again. I carry into this conversation or into our relationship, everything mm -hmm. that I've ever known about her. But that then holds her where she is. And as families, we do that. Like, I mean, my mom still sees me like I'm four, you know? <laughs> so she, she interacts with me as though, like, I'm that four-year-old, I'm that seven-year-old, I'm that 10-year-old, I'm that 20-year-old, right? She remembers stuff that I'll never, ever remember, whatever it is. But that then holds me in that light. And so as a clinician and as a teacher, teacher, right, as I said, held up as the highest honor. And our objective, at least, I think this is really the ideal is that we are putting our, our students are far surpassing us in our wisdom and in knowledge. So we want them to be better than us to be, and that's a terrible way to say it, but I don't know how else to, you know, to be, to just take more aligned, aligned aware, yeah, right. <laughs> more enlightened, joyous. Exactly. exactly. Yes. Yeah. But I can't do that if every time you walk into my session with me, I see you as the worst version of yourself. Mm -hmm. And we see this in mental health all the time, particularly one field I see it in is psychiatry <clears throat> because they have less contact with their clients. Like if I'm the therapist, I might see somebody twice a week, but if I'm a psychiatrist, I might see you once a month. 
So let's say that I met you while we were, you were at your worst ever. You had like a psychotic break or you were in rehab on like the lowest day of your entire life. That's really where usually psychiatry is inserted into the equation. And then forever after, my version of you, like the, the, the place that I go back to as my reference point is that guy or gal, that person. And so, and I see it, I do, I really, I come up against this a lot because I'll have been with this client for two years. I will see the advanced version, the new version, the update, the download, the new software. And then this other person comes along and says, oh, well, you know, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, yo, they haven't had like symptoms of psychosis in three years. What are you talking about? This is, this is old stuff, but this is what we do because we're limited to what we know of somebody but not realizing that we, we are holding them in that worst version or in that version that we don't like. And so it's imperative that we shake that if we're going to be an effective teacher at all. Right. And there's all kinds of ways that we try and do that intentionally, right? So we, we do that individually in the work, right? How do you envision yourself, right? What are your goals? And we talk a lot about imagination. Um, But also collectively as a team, can we hold a vision for this individual about who they want to be, right? And in yoga too, as teachers teaching a class, you know, we believe that you can get there. We right. see you getting there. We desire it for you. And it's not easy all the time. <clears throat> you know, it's not always easy for us. Like, like we are human and it isn't, it isn't always easy, but it is our responsibility. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Seeing, seeing, you know, the potential for growth, whether that's in um, clients or students or, um, you know, and really believing uh, in change and that people can change. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I was laughing to myself because for a moment I was like, oh, how applicable this is to relationships. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and just, you know, not always holding someone to where they were, whether it was a year ago, a month ago, yesterday, right? But just really um, kind of coming from this place of okay you know like um this is where we are today and and that's part of the being present and right there's this whole connection um and so yeah it's a lot of work (laughs) oh my god you nailed it there i mean i don't think there's a harder place to do it than in a relationship because of the fact that we have to self-protect that's why we do that in relationships because someone who's in our love relationship or in our love life has power to hurt us. And we, we know that they've hurt us, you know, and, and sometimes if we're, you know, fragile and sometimes we are, we, you know, like right now we might be in a fragile space. We don't have the extra bandwidth to, to give to our relationships. And so if we are fragile and someone hurts us, we have to then we think protect. So what do we do? We, continue to see them as they were expecting and bracing for and hoping that they don't hurt us again. But 
it's very hard to trust the present and to let them back in if somebody's hurt you. And it doesn't have to be like a blatant hurt. It doesn't have to be like a, someone cheated or someone did something, you know, deplorable. Because we get hurt in relationships in these teeny little ways all the time. And then we go right back into shutdown, self-protect. But then I have to take a huge risk to not, you know, see that same behavior in you again. And the problem is we don't know this, but we're calling it from them. So if I show up and I expect, if I expect Molly to, you know, be dismissive um, or to say something that, you know, puts me down or whatever it is, then certainly I'm going to show up to our conversations. I'm going to hear her as dismissive and I'm going to feel put down by something she said, not knowing that I'm bringing that to the equation. And that Mm -hmm. is in fact how relationships crumble very quickly because we are always expecting and bracing for a repetition, a pattern. And you're, Angela, 100% right. Like, I remember believing that, I, that people couldn't change. I mean, like, you know, 1996, I probably would have told you that uh, people can't change. It's not even possible now, obviously, because we've made our careers the opposite, mm-hmm. believing and knowing and studying change. You know, we know that's not true, but it does require a certain you know, sequence of ingredients and steps to do so that we also know are incredibly challenging. The thing is, we have to make room for somebody, though, to be able to embrace change. And in our intimate relationships, there's, there's probably nothing, I can't think of anything more challenging than that. Like, that's for real difficult. Yeah. yeah. Well, and in terms of intimate relationships and, you know, your teacher and considering an intimate relationship with your teacher, you know, there are in, in uh, the social work code of ethics, it is explicitly forbidden. And (laughs) it's also written that in um, the Kundalini yoga teacher ethics that, um, having a romantic or sexual relationship with a student is a really, really bad idea. And there are guidelines if that is something that you um, do ever consider um, that expire after a certain amount of years. But I think that, you know, it, it that's even debatable, right? In, in my personal opinion, if that's ever really possible, um, because you do, you turn over so much trust, right? And you put in so much investment into this person as knowing something or being able to teach you or guide you. Um, and that's a real abuse of power um to use that relationship to use that trust um even with the sort of best intentions you know like oh we can make this work we're both a consenting adult blah 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 which is all you know how we justify these kinds of things um but i think the question is is that ever really true you know is because This is such a unique relationship. Um, There is so much trust. There is so much exchange, right, Um, of 
it, even it's not just um, language; it's an exchange of energy, mm-hmm. um, which is you know much bigger than um, what you may know about me, um, content-wise or the details of my my past. So just to you know sort of bring it back to kind of one of these the the kind of opening kind of frame for uh, today i don't know you know how helpful that is but it 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 is something that people really should be aware of mm-hmm. <laughs> when you know there's um you know, when you notice that maybe somebody is flirting with you that is in this sort of um, uh, power differential in terms of the the learnings, um, it is something you should second guess or think twice about. It's, and not assume that it's okay because you're the same age or this person is younger than you, or you go to the same park or, you know, you know, you're both consenting adults or you have the same friends or whatever it is, um, that there is really a very specific reason. Um, and it can be harmful to everyone involved. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, th- you said it, Molly, those power differentials. I mean, there is like that hot for teacher kind of, you know, yeah. taboo thing out in the world. Um, certainly that exists in counseling and clinical work as well. Mm-hmm. And we've seen people, uh, break the rules and you know it's never a happy ending it doesn't go well and it's because you will never escape the power differential you can it's undoing a wiring of another person in your brain as they already exist is extraordinarily difficult to do and so it never really escapes the power differential and and creates an uneven footing from the beginning and who the hell wants that you're just sort of setting yourself up for catastrophe and 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 look self-discipline is a big part of the practice so being able to control yourself uh you know there is an intimacy in a teacher exchange or in a trust in a clinical setting you know these are very similar roles that's you know all three of us are both Mm -hmm. and so there is um an awareness of that but a violation of that, there's, uh, I, to me, there's like no greater harm mm-hmm. than a violation of that. That's my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, because we are so, our job first and foremost is to create a healthy, trusting space. I mean, that's our job. It's the essential rule of teaching and of uh, clinical work. And violating that is, uh, is really a very serious, serious problem. Yeah. Angela, did you want to wrap things up here before we go <laughs> um i don't know about that but um i was you know i was just thinking like all these things we're, we're talking about we're talking about um you know kind of our own moral compass and our yeah. integrity and um you know our own self-discipline and just you know how much so much of this relationship and um like this is this is yoga and it's life and it's yoga teacher and it's also you know, Angela as a human. And, and so, you know, this this kind of way that yoga is life and how we're living our yoga, I think it, it's all a, a full circle. It's all connected. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's all learning. It's all learning. It's all learning. It's all us. It's a work in progress. It's all learning. Um, yeah. I, 
you know, my bottom line point is, is um, as teachers, the hope is that we're, we are carrying a message of hope, upliftment, support, guidance, and that we are, you know, able to walk in our alignment as often as much and at least making that an ideal <clears throat> for ourselves um, so that we can pass that along as models to to our students to the best of our ability of course because as angela said of course we're just human yeah okay you guys it's time thanks so much for this conversation today molly what a great topic really really helpful just to be reminded as teachers Today um, at three o'clock, we're gonna carry this teacher conversation um, as well into the realm of fitness, talking a lot about motivation and how to leverage motivation. So you definitely don't wanna miss that if you happen to have some time later on in the day. Thanks ladies, have a beautiful rest of your day and uh, be safe and be well.